street epistemology is a wonderful approach that anyone can learn. You can learn more about street epistemology at streetepistemology.com. Finally, taking it to the streets, literally. Here in Toronto, we have an area called Young and Dundas Square, a more polite version of Times Square in New York. It has bright lights, billboards, tourists, buskers, and of course, street preachers. In true Toronto fashion, it's a diverse group. The young guy with the megaphone who yells that you're going to burn in hell is across the street from the old guy who mutters, Believe! as he thrusts a crumpled tract in your direction. A few meters away, some Muslim folks offer free copies of the Quran, while just a bit further still are the Jehovah's Witnesses, quietly waiting for people to approach them and take a copy of the Watchtower. On some days, you'll be asked to sign a petition to stop the persecution of Falun Dafa practitioners in China, and if you're really lucky, you might have someone posing as a Buddhist monk ask you for money. I have been passing by this spectacle for years, but since I never really wanted what these people were selling, I have averted my gaze and steered clear. It was only recently, after discovering street epistemology, that I first considered approaching one of these people and striking up a conversation. Ironically though, the more I learned about SE, the less confident I felt. I had watched countless example videos, read A Manual for Creating Atheists and The Outsider Test for Faith, and I'd had many conversations with strangers online, with friends and family members, and I still felt unprepared to dive into a chat with these heavyweights. Sometimes I was in a rush or not in the right headspace, but most of the time I just plain chickened out. Until last week. I found myself at Young and Dundas on a beautiful summer night with nothing but time on my hands as I waited to meet my girlfriend. This was it. I stood on the corner for a bit, taking in the scene that I described earlier. There was a group of a few Christians chatting with each other and lazily handing out their material, so I strolled over, fully prepared to just keep walking if they didn't approach me. Just when I thought I would have to try again some other time, a tall young man named Dave handed me a chick tract. It was called The Bull, in case you want to check it out. The conversation went something like this. Thanks, Ben. Can you tell me about this thing you're handing out? This is called a tract. It's about... And Dave gives a synopsis of The Bull. So basically, we're all sinners, and we can only be saved through Jesus Christ. Okay, cool. I'll, I'll check it out. Do you mind if I ask you some questions about that, though? Sure, that's why we're out here. Great, thanks. You said we were all sinners, and I guess I wanted to ask you about that. Is everyone a sinner, including that little girl over there? Yes, everyone. Jesus said, and here Dave reads a Bible verse from his phone, So the nature of man is to sin, and someone has to pay for that sin, which is where Jesus comes in. It also says that, another Bible verse, So since it's our nature to sin, that girl will sin eventually, just like all of us. That's why we need Jesus. Uh, okay, I, I guess I can understand that idea. It looks like you place a lot of importance in what the Bible says, is that right? Of course, the Bible's the ultimate source of truth. You see, Dave goes on a long rant about how evolution is just a theory, immorality is everywhere, God's law, etc. Wow, you, you threw a lot at me there. I, I want to go back to the first thing you said. The Bible is the ultimate source of truth, right? Yeah, it's true. Okay, I I'm not saying I can do this, but if it could be shown that the Bible wasn't reliable, that it got something wrong, what effect would that have on your belief in God? Dave looks at me, looks up, looks at his phone. Uh, I, I don't know, I've, I've never thought about that before, but, but the Bible is true, so... 
If I can ask another question, that gentleman over there is handing out copies of the Quran. If we assume that he says the Quran is the ultimate source of truth, how can we determine which one of you is right? Uh, well, I, I don't know much about the Quran. Oh, neither do I. But do you think there's a way we can find out which of the two books are reliable? Uh, I, I mean, I think you should talk to Wendy. She knows a lot more about this than me. Oh, well, I'm happy to talk to Wendy, but I, before I could explain that I wanted to know what he thought, Dave cut me off by walking over to his friends. He said something to one of the women, presumably Wendy, and she followed him back to where I was standing. She asked, So you have some questions about the Quran? I quickly clarified. Wendy was a much more seasoned apologist than Dave, and she seemed not only to have biblical knowledge, but knowledge of the Quran as well. She asked, Why would you want to follow that book? Do you know there's 99 different versions of it? And then went on for a bit about all the bad things about the Quran, specifically how Muhammad's wife was very young, and how he brutally destroyed his enemies while keeping the girls as spoils of war. Wow, I, I really appreciate your knowledge on this. Just to be clear, and, and please correct me if I'm wrong, the Quran isn't worth following because there are many versions and because it's full of violence? That's correct. Those of you familiar with the Bible know where I went with that, but she dismissed my question with the predictable, ah, but that's the Old Testament. That didn't stop her from talking about Adam, Job, and Noah, but I let it slide in an effort to avoid apologetics. We chatted a bit more until I came back to the same question I had asked originally. How can we know if the Bible is true? At this point, it was Wendy's turn to tap out. I think you need to speak to my husband Mark, she said, and went to get him. He came over, said hello, and spoke for a while about Satan, about the Quran being a false teaching, and then about how personal experiences following an accident had led him to Christ. It was a lot of information, and I was running out of time, but we were about to get to what I really wanted to discuss. Thanks for sharing that. It sounds like some amazing things have happened in your life, and I'm glad you're doing better now. I guess my question is similar to what I asked Dave, which is, how we can be sure that the God of the Bible is the one who helped you through that time? Ah, well, you have to have faith. You use faith to know that God was helping you? Wendy steps in. We all use faith every day. If I gave you a chair to sit on, you would have faith that it would hold you up, right? You would sit on it without hesitation. Well, I would, I would trust it, partly because I've sat on many chairs before, and partly because it seems like I can trust you not to give me a broken chair to sit on. Trust might not be the same as faith, but if, like you say, we all use faith, and the Muslim over there uses faith the same way you do, how do I know who's right? Is faith a reliable way to discover the truth? Mark answers, Well, faith is how we are able to know God, so I rely on it. Is there anything else that you use faith for? L let me ask that a different way. Would I be able to use faith to come to any conclusion? Well, I guess so, but you have to make sure that your conclusion is right. Well, sure, but if you're using faith as a method, it might be tough to know how right you are. Wendy speaks up again. Have you gotten down on your knees and opened your heart to Jesus? If you do, you'll hear him talk to you and you'll be saved. What if I did that this morning, but didn't hear anything? Then you need to do it again. Do I just keep doing it until I get the result I want? You keep doing it until you're saved. At this point, I was late. I thanked them for their time and tried to excuse myself, but Wendy asked if they could pray for me. I said sure, and she grabbed me by the hand, with Dave grabbing the other. Mark rounded out the circle. Oh, you mean right now? Yes, she did. They lowered their heads while Wendy prayed that Brian would let the Lord into his heart. And she ended with, I'll ask you, Jesus, will you forgive Brian if he opens his heart to you? 
I just heard him. He said he will forgive you. Now, I don't know who Brian is, but it's nice to know he's eligible for salvation. As I was wrapping things up, I said that I had one more question for Mark. Is there anything that would change your mind? No. Not that I think I could do this, but what if it could be shown that the Bible wasn't what you think it is? That it had errors, or that the events didn't happen in the way that they're written? That wouldn't matter to us, because we would have an answer for anything you could come up with. We wouldn't have to change our minds. I thanked them for their time, shook their hands, and went to meet my girl. I know that there are some things I could have done better. I could have asked more open-ended questions, asked where they were on a belief scale, and been more comfortable with politely interrupting when they got off on a tangent. I also know that letting my interlocutor tag out of the talk when they become uncomfortable to avoid the true introspection I'm aiming for is not ideal. At the same time, I'm considering it a win for a few reasons. First, I kept myself on track, and I asked questions even when I wanted to state facts about evolution or Noah's flood or violence in the Bible. After long strings of Bible verses and apologetics, I was able to say things like, I appreciate your knowledge of these topics, but you said a lot there and I'd really like to get back to the first thing you said. Second, I got the response, I don't know, and I've never thought of that before, a few times, mostly from Dave. He was very quiet as I spoke with his more experienced partners, but treating him as an audience was helpful to me, and I hope that he left with some things to think about. Third, and most importantly, we had a very cordial chat, and we parted ways with smiles and handshakes. I'm certainly not ready to call myself an expert street epistemologist, but I achieved something I was nervous about trying, and I know what I need to do to get better. I'll leave you with one more moment from the talk. As the four of us were standing there chatting, a man came over with his crumpled coffee cup, asking for change. Wendy and Mark completely ignored him, but Dave was kind enough to put a copy of the bull in his cup. I wanted to ask if that's what Jesus would have done, but I kept my mouth shut in the interest of maintaining rapport. My name is Ryan Castleman, and I am a Toronto-based musician, personal trainer, entrepreneur, and a proud father. In an attempt to move from slacktivism to activism, I've started a blog called The Rational North, where I explore secularism, skepticism, and critical thinking as they apply to issues here in Canada. You can read more at therationalnorth.wordpress.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Rational North, or you can send an email to therationalnorth at gmail.com. Street epistemology is a technique by Dr. Peter Bogosian in his book, A Manual for Creating Atheists, and his Android and iOS app, Atheos.